You're listening to online media from Glendale Christian Church. For more information, visit us at glendalecc.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at glendalecky. Hey, well, good morning. Hey, thanks for being here. and We want to welcome in our online group as well. Thanks for engaging with us online and, and participating in worship. And uh, I'm really excited about today. We're beginning a brand new series of messages called Bottom of the Ninth. And I hope you recognize that voice uh, on, on the little transition video there because... It was the voice you just heard prior to me getting up here. Uh, we've talked about this. We have the best PA guy in, in our church. He's the best PA guy in sports around, and so we didn't figure we need to, to look online and find any audio clip or something like that. We just have Mike do it. And so Mike lent his voice to that, and we appreciate that, so thank you. And uh, we're, we're doing this, this series called Bottom of the Ninth, and, and it's obviously it's got a baseball theme to it, but... To get started this morning, I want to ask a question. How many of you remember the baseball player Francisco Cabrera? Uh, a couple. That, that's actually a few more than I expected because um, he's, he's not really a well-known baseball player. And so if you don't remember him, no worries. Just hold on to that name. We're going to come back to him in a few minutes. But what I hope today is that you discover that, that you and him might actually have something in common. And so before we talk about that, though, I want to tell you why we're doing this series and why we're calling it the bottom of the ninth. Because this series centers around this question. Have you ever felt behind in, a, in an area of life? Have you ever felt behind in life? Maybe it's an example that we can all relate to is, is your to-do list. Anybody ever felt behind on their to-do list? All right, thank you. And those of you that didn't raise your hand on behalf of all the rest of us, we hate you. Um, I mean, God loves you, but, but we all hate that you're not behind on your to-do list like we are because it, it's just one of those overwhelming kind of stressful feelings, isn't it? It's like if, if you were to do a scoreboard, a baseball scoreboard of, of you against your to-do list, the scoreboard is like 27 to 3, and you're not the, tw- and you're not the 27. Like that's how a lot of us feel, right? And some of you are saying that's not the scoreboard of my to-do list versus me. That's actually how I feel. I feel like I am that far behind in certain things. And so that's where we're going because we just get stressed out by just thinking about some of those things. But maybe what if you replace your to-do list with, with something else? Has there ever been a season in your life where you've been behind financially? Or maybe has there ever been a season in your life where you've been behind relationally? Maybe it's a relationship with a, with a family member, a, a parent. Maybe a relationship with a co-worker or, or maybe the person you're dating. Maybe even the person you're married to. Have you ever felt behind in, in that relationship? Maybe you've been behind uh, in your career. That's where you feel like you're behind in your career. Like, you know, you think I should be this far along in my career. I should be at this stage but really, I'm way back here, and I just feel behind. I, I'm not where I want to be in my career, and so I just feel behind. Or, or maybe you've felt behind just emotionally. Maybe the, that, that battle is against a particular emotion. And the reality is, is that if you've ever felt like that in your past or in your present, well, that's normal. In fact, most all of us, I think we would agree that, that, that we've all felt behind in some area of life. And so if you've ever felt behind in an area of life, you felt like giving up, you felt like there was really no reason to continue on in that area, then this series is for you. And I think we would all agree that, that that's just kind of how life works, right? That there's some, there's some really good things that happen in life, but there's also some really challenging things that happen in life. And that's just the ebb and flow. And as you go from good things to bad things or good things to challenging things, there are good days and maybe not so good days. That, that, that just ebb and flow, there's an emotion that builds up in that. 
And in the middle of all that, when you're behind in a particular area, when you feel behind in a particular area, that emotion begins to serve, surface. And the reason we're, we're calling this series the bottom of the ninth is because I call those bottom of the ninth moments. That when, you, when you feel down and out, when you feel like I, I should just give up, that, that's kind of a bottom of the ninth moment. And here's the reality. When it comes to bottom of the ninth, there's something really significant about that. One of the things I love about baseball that's different from all the other sports is that baseball isn't ruled by a clock. You know, in, in football and soccer, basketball, there's, there's a clock that counts down the amount of time that you have left. And then when the clock hits zero, the game is over. But baseball is not ruled by a clock. There are 27 outs to get. And, and so it, as long as it takes to get those 27 outs, it's what it takes. Baseball's, I think, a little more hopeful in, the, in that regard, that, that it's not ruled by a clock. But here's the thing, when you get to the bottom of the ninth, you never get to the bottom of the ninth unless you're tied or behind. I mean, think about that. If you're the home team, the home team never gets to the bottom of the ninth unless they're behind or they're tied. And so this is an important theme in the bottom of the ninth when it comes to baseball, but also when it comes to life. Because baseball basically says this, hey, it's the bottom of the ninth, you're down, but you're not out. You're down, but it's not over. You may be down, but you're not out. And what I want us to see is that while that's an important theme in baseball, it's also an important theme for life. That there are moments where we might feel like we are down, but we are not out. You may be down financially, but you're not out. You may be down relationally, but you're not out. You may be down in just one particular area of your life, but you are not out. And what we're going to talk about in this series is how we move from being down, but to not out. And, and so to illustrate that, I, I want to take you back to Francisco Cabrera. I want to take you back to the 1992 National League Championship Series between the Atlanta Braves and the Pittsburgh Pirates. And if you're a Pittsburgh Pirates fan, I don't think we have a lot of those in, in, in our area, but if you're a Pittsburgh Pirates fan, well, today was the wrong day for you to show up to church because this is a painful memory for Pirates fans. But it's the bottom of the ninth, Game 7 of the National League Championship Series, and there's two outs. And the Atlanta Braves are down two to nothing. There's two to nothing. And so what people forget about this series is that the Braves were actually up three games to one in this series. They, they were up. They won the first two games. They lost game three, won game four. And so it's three games to one. The series goes to Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh wins game five. And then Pittsburgh crushes Atlanta in game six. And now all the momentum that Atlanta had has gone back to Pittsburgh. And it's game seven. And it's the bottom of the ninth. And Pittsburgh is up two to nothing. And it was got to a point where when they got to the bottom of the ninth, the Atlanta fans thinking, well, we're not going to the World Series this year. They start going home. They start leaving the stadium. Because that was the, the reality of the situation was they were in a situation where if winner take all. Winner goes to the World Series, loser goes home, and they will forever be remembered as the team that lost a game seven. And so... Pittsburgh jumps out to an early 2 to nothing lead. We get to the bottom of the ninth. Braves fans are packing it in. They're, they're heading to the, to, to the cars. And Francisco Cabrera is called to come up to pinch hit. The pitcher spot in the, in the batting order comes up because Atlanta had scored a run, and so it's now 2-1, to one, but there were two outs. Two outs, bottom of the ninth. And the pitcher spot comes up, and I don't know if you know this. If you don't follow baseball, you probably don't know this, but... Major League Baseball pitchers typically aren't really good hitters. They're good at getting hitters out, not so good at hitting the ball themselves. And so they get pinch hit for a lot. And so Bobby Cox, the manager of the Atlanta Braves, uh, has to turn to his bench, and he's used most of his bench already in this game. And he looks down at his lineup card, and he's got one name left, and it's the name of Francisco Cabrera. 
And so he calls Francisco Cabrera to come up and pinch hit. Now Cabrera, uh, he had spent a few years in the league. He would be out of baseball by the end of the 93 season. So this is 1992, so he's basically got about a year left. He had hit, came to, to the plate all of 10 times in the season. Now, baseball is a long season. It's 162 games. Most people get two, 250, 300 at-bats. He had batted 10 times all year. And he hadn't done so well in all 10 of those at-bats. In fact, he got his 11th at-bat of the season in game six against the same pitcher that he was facing now. And he didn't do so well in that at-bat either. In fact, I think he struck out. And so he comes to the plate having batted all of 11 times and having failed most of those times. But what Francisco Cabrera did is is that he did not let his past failures as a baseball player, he did not let the enormity of the situation, it's we go to the World Series or we go home, all based on what I do in this sit-back, he did not let those moments define him. Instead, Francisco Cabrera, when his manager, when Bobby Cox, when his leader said, hey, I want you to go and step up to the plate, he got his bat and he went and he stepped up to the plate. And here's the thing, he, he didn't allow, he, he, the fact that he didn't allow his past failures or the enormity of the, and difficulty of the situation to define him either is incredible. Because think about this, the whole season, the whole entire fact that they'll go to the World Series or not rest on his shoulder. And don't forget this too, standing on second base is the winning run. There's runners at second and third, and the winning run is at second base, and it comes in the form of a man named Sid Bream, who historically is one of the slowest baseball players to have ever played the game of baseball. He'd had five knee surgeries prior to that season, and so to say he didn't run well would be an understatement. And so Cabrera comes up to the bat with Sid Bream on second base, the winning run, and he's not had much luck as a hitter. But he doesn't let his past failures, he doesn't let the enormity of the situation define him. In fact, he steps up to the plate. He fouls the first couple of pitches off, and now he's behind in the count. He's got two strikes on him, down to his last strike, and they go home. And he rips a, base, he rips a ball into the left field. Barry Bonds, one of the greatest left fielders to ever play the game, bobbles the ball a little bit. He throws home to, to try and get the, the Sid Bream out at the plate. The throw is right on the line, and Sid Bream slides underneath the tag safely, and the Braves win the game 3-2, to two, and they go to the World Series. Now, I just wonder, I just wonder, how many people in today's world, if you feel like you're behind in a particular area, if, I wonder how many people allow those past failures and, and the enormity of the situation that they're facing right now, I wonder how many of those people allow those things to define them. I, I wonder that. I wonder how many people think that the future is just going to be more of the past and more of the present and life's never going to get any better. Life's always going to be tough. It's always going to be the way it is. The, the, the things that I face right now are always going to be the things that I face in the future. It, it, I might as well just give up because life is too tough. I wonder just how many people face that. So here's where we're going in this series and here's the challenge. And challenges for us to not let our past failures or our current reality, the current situation that we might be facing, define us. To let God define us. Let God define you. Don't let the, the enormity of your situation, your past failures, don't let those things define you. Let God define you. And, and here's the important thing as it relates to God as our Heavenly Father. It, because when it comes to the bottom of the ninth, your Heavenly Father, my Heavenly Father, loves the bottom of the ninth. He specializes in the bottom of the ninth moments. Your Heavenly Father is really good at turning things around. He specializes in, in, in making the impossible become possible. He, he specializes in taking that thing that seems impossible and, and bringing about and birthing possibility out of that. 
And if you're here today, or if you're watching online today, and you're facing a situation where you feel like you're in a bottom of, of, of the third moment, maybe it's the bottom of the fifth moment, it's not gotten that bad yet, but maybe, or maybe it is a bottom of the ninth moment for you. I want you to know this, that your Heavenly Father specializes in turning those things around and, and, and in come from behind victories. And so that's where we're going today. And what we're going to do in the few moments that we've got left is we're going to look at a statement that Jesus made. And I want to share with you a story from the life of Jesus. And it's really, it's a conversation. And in this conversation, Jesus says a sentence that, that I want us to, to, to really lean into. And we're going to lift four words out of that sentence. And I'm just going to ask you to lean into it. And then I'm going to ask you to do a couple of things as we get ready for, for the rest of the series. So here's the story. One day, Jesus is walking along and he's approached by, by a young man. In fact, the Bible lets us know that this young man is a very rich young man. It, it, you might know him as the rich young ruler. And, and the rich young man, he shows up, he approaches Jesus, and he begins to have a conversation with Jesus, and he asks a very important question. Here's the question that, Jesus, that he asks Jesus. He says, teacher, what must I do to gain eternal life? What, what must I do to go to heaven? And when you stop and think about it, that's a really good question, isn't it? it it's a really good question. What, what do I need to do to gain eternal life? What do I need to do to go to heaven? And so they, they start talking, and they start talking about the Ten Commandments, and the young man says, oh, I got all of that done. Check, check, check. What else you got? It's kind of like, like God is right here, and, and I'm right here, so, so what else you got for me? I, I've got all of those things done. I've followed the commandments all of my life. I've done everything that, you should, that you've asked. What else do I need to do so that I can gain eternal life? And so Jesus says, hey, I got a great idea. Here's the idea. Why don't you take all of your worldly possessions, all the things that, that make you a rich young man, why don't you take all of those things and sell them and give all of the money that you, you make off of, those, off of that sale, off of, you know, have a giant yard sale, and I'll take all of the money that you make off of that and give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. It's a great idea. What do you think? And the Bible tells us that the rich young man went away sad because he had lots of wealth. And so... Jesus, in this moment, he says something that is really just remarkable. As this rich young man is walking away, he says something that's really brilliant. And, and he, he says it to those who are, who are listening. He, he's kind of gathered everybody around. It's within earshot. But, it, but the statement that he makes, I think, is also important for us. It's almost as if he was saying it to us 2,000 years later. As this rich young man walks away, uh, this is what Jesus says to his disciples. He says, I tell you the truth. It's hard for someone who is rich to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for someone who is rich to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, it's really easy to look at this statement that Jesus makes, to, to look at these words and say that Jesus is making a commentary on the wealthy, that he's making a commentary on having lots of money. And I'm just going to say, I don't think that's what Jesus is doing. I, I don't think that's what he's doing here. I mean, it's certainly safe to say that, you know, there are certain things, you know, the, the glitters of the world that will distract us from the substantial things of life. There are certain things that, sure, money can, can pull us away from the love of Jesus. It absolutely can. But I don't think that's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. And, and here's why I say that, because of the next verse. The next verse not only gives us the context for the conversation that Jesus is having, but it also gives us a context into the culture in which Jesus is speaking to. And, and as Jesus says this, he says it to his disciples and those around him. And, and the disciples, men who had very little money, who, who didn't have a lot, they, they reacted a certain way. In fact, the next verse tells us when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. Greatly astonished as in greatly perplexed, as in greatly confused, as in greatly concerned. And here's why. 
Because in that day and time, if you were a person that was, was well off, if you were wealthy, there was an assumption that the reason you had all of the things that you had was because God was blessing you more. That God favored you more. That you had somehow a better connection to God than everybody else. And that's why you had all of this stuff. That's why you had all of your money. And yet what Jesus is saying here is, no, 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 not, not at all. In fact, it's actually easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for someone who is rich to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Which allows and forces the disciples to ask this question that they're greatly astonished about. And so they ask, well then, who can be saved? Who can be saved? Now, now don't miss this. And this is another reason why Jesus was just so brilliant. See this question right here? This question that the disciples ask? That's the same question that the rich young man asked. It's it's the same question. Hey, how do I get to heaven? Who can be saved? And Jesus hears the question, and he goes, you know what? That's not only a question for you. That's not only a question for the disciples. It's not just a question for those in earshot. It's a good question for people that are going to live 2,000 years later. Who can get to heaven? And Jesus' answer to that question, from his perspective, is nobody. No one. Left to your own devices, left to your own works, absolutely no one. It's not your heavenly father's here and, and you're right here, so, so what do I got to do to gain entry into heaven? No, we're not, we're not dealing with that kind of God. That's not what we're dealing with. We're, we're dealing with it's the bottom of the ninth and you're down a gazillion runs. And you've got no hope. It's game over. Nobody. I don't care how many times you go to church. I don't care how many times you go to Mass or, or whatever, whatever worship gathering it is that you go to. I don't care how many times you go to Bible study. All of those things are wonderful. They're not bad things. But at the end of the day, left to your own devices, you don't have a chance. You cannot make your own way to God. You are hopeless. And so what Jesus says, he looks at his disciples. And he says this, he says, with man, this is impossible. Impossible. And a little preview of where we're going in just a second. But I know that many of you have, a, have great impossibilities facing you right now. I know that many of you are, ha, have impossibilities, whether it's relationally or financially or emotionally or, or maybe career or health-wise. And, and I don't want you to feel like I'm making light of those situations. I'm not. I'm not at all. Those are, those are the situations that you find yourself in are, are important and, and they, they're daunting and all of those kind of things. But they are not the greatest impossibility that you've ever faced. They are not the greatest impossibility. Your current situation, your current reality is not the greatest impossibility that you have ever faced. The greatest impossibility that you or me or anyone else has ever faced is that we were hopelessly separated from a holy God and there was not a thing that we could do about it on our own. That's the greatest impossibility that we have ever faced, that we were hopelessly separated from a holy God and there was nothing that we could do about it on our own. So what do we do? What do we do if we're hopelessly separated? What do we do? Well, let me give you a little perspective of where Jesus is taking us. And to do that, I want to give you an example from, from my own life, from when I was growing up. When I was growing up, I loved to play Little League Baseball. I'm still pretty heavily involved with Little League Baseball and its organizations. But I played other sports, too. I played, I played basketball. And when I was growing up, and many of you when you were growing up, if, if you were playing a sport and your team was getting beat by a lot of runs, there wasn't really anything you could do about it other than you just... Take, take your beating and, and go on, all right? You, you, you just you got beat by a lot of runs. And so one, one time I was, on, I was on a basketball team, and this is a little embarrassing to even tell this, but I was on a basketball team, and we got beat one night 101 to 35. Yeah, 101 to 35. And if that wasn't embarrassing enough, it was an all-star team. 
I was on this all-star team, and we got beat 101 to 35. My all-star team lost that way. And so we didn't lose at halftime. We lost in, in like, the pregame warm-ups. We knew from the very beginning we didn't stand a chance. And so we're down 40 points at halftime. We go into the locker room. There is no, hey, win one for the Gipper kind of speech. It was just, yeah, we're getting beat. And we went back out there and played the entire second half thinking we should just go home. And we got beat 101 to 35. And at the end of the game, my coach gets us all together and he says, Now, boys, you learned an important life lesson today. And that was it. That's all he told us. He didn't tell us what the life lesson was. He just he said, you learned an important life lesson, and he went home. And so we're all kind of standing around thinking, what is, what's the life lesson? Maybe, maybe the life lesson is we need to find a better coach and, and so that we don't get beat 101 to 35. But he says, you've learned an important life lesson, and, and that was it. And so I don't know who it was or when it came along, but somewhere along the line, some people got tired of getting beat 101 to 35 every time. And so they came up with this rule called the mercy rule. And if you've played sports or if you've been a parent around sports, you know what the mercy rule is. At some point, the mercy rule basically says, we're going to intervene. The game is out of hand. There is no hope of you coming back and winning this game. So we're going to intervene and we're, we're going to do something to shorten the game. You know, it varies from region to region. But you know, like in baseball, our mercy rule here is, you know, if you're down 15 runs after three innings or, or 10 runs after five innings, then, then we're just going to end the misery and the game is over. In, in basketball, in high school basketball, if you're down 35 points then we don't ever stop the clock the ball goes out of bounds and the clock just keeps running I wish they would change it to like it would run during timeouts too and we just we would just let coaches call all their timeouts and game would be over that, that would be great we just we're going to end the misery you have no hope you have no chance of coming back game is over now that's a version of the mercy rule you have no hope you're going to lose so let's get this over as quickly as possible but the reason I bring that up the reason I bring up the mercy rule is because your heavenly father also has a version of the mercy rule. And his version of the mercy rule is that you're hopelessly, and I was hopelessly separated from God. The Bible teaches that, right? Romans, Romans teaches us that we have all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, and there's not anything on our own that we can do to make up for that. And so here's God's version of the mercy rule. Here's how it sounds. For God so loved you, and 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 God so loved you. For God so loved the world that he would give up his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but they would have everlasting life. I don't want you to miss that because that's the answer to the rich young man's question. That's the answer to the disciples' question. Who can be saved? That's the answer. And Jesus says back in, back in that story with the rich young man in Matthew, he says, with man it's impossible, but don't miss this. With God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. And so God, your heavenly Father, he sends Jesus to earth. And Jesus lives a great life. He, he lives a perfect life. He models what, what our heavenly Father wants for us. And after three years of incredible ministry, Jesus is arrested on trumped-up charges. He's tried and he's convicted. He's beaten, he's slapped, he's kicked, he's mocked, he, he's spit on. Ultimately, he's flogged and scourged and, and nailed to a cross. And he suffocates to, to death. And then he's ripped down off of that cross. And he's thrown into a borrowed tomb like a scoundrel. And the stone is rolled over the tomb and the story of Jesus is over. It was a good run. It was a good try. But it's the bottom of the ninth. And we're down a gazillion runs. And there's no way to make our, make our way back to God. Our one and only chance, our one and only hope has been killed. 
It's the bottom of the ninth. There's two outs, and that's strike one. Then that's then that Saturday, nothing happens. I like to call that Saturday Silent Saturday. Nothing happens. There's no comeback. There's nobody around the tomb expecting anything to happen because nobody thought that anything was going to happen. They thought they thought Jesus was great and all. He he tried. It was a good run. He tried to make bridges to God, but it's over. Strike two. You ever felt that way? Ever felt that way? Felt like it was over? You ever felt like there was no hope? Ever felt like there was no reason to go on? You ever felt that way? Because if you have, here's what you need to understand about your Heavenly Father. Is that He never runs out of time. When when the game is never over with, with our Heavenly Father because He never runs out of time. In fact, He holds time in His hands. He created time. That's why the next day on that Sunday, God breathed on that tomb. He breathed on that tomb and the stone came rolling away and Jesus walked out of that tomb. And when Jesus walked out of that tomb, the greatest impossibility that you or I have ever faced suddenly became possible. That's incredible. The greatest thing, the greatest impossibility, the thing that I could not do for myself suddenly became possible. Suddenly there was hope for me because now I could become a son of the, of the, of the king of the universe. I could, you could be a son or a daughter of the, of the king of the universe. That's incredible to me. You, it, it meant that we could now know God, not just now, but forevermore. That's incredible. And what that means for us today, it means that if God can bring his son back from the grave, if God can bring his son back to, from the grave, it means that God can bring your situation back from the grave. If God can bring his son back to life, he can bring your hopes back to life. If God can bring his son back to life with hope, he can do the same for you and he wants to. Yeah, the situation facing you, it's big. It's daunting. It might look impossible. But the greatest impossibility that has ever faced you is not the situation in front of you right now. The greatest impossibility that has ever faced you has become possible. And with God, what that means is that all things are possible. And what that means for us, if we're going to lean in into this, here's, here's the mindset that we need to have. We need to be anything is possible kind of people. We need to be anything is possible kind of people. So let me ask you, especially to those of you who have been followers of Jesus for a long time, let me ask you this question. How big are you praying? How big are you dreaming? If Jesus is really alive, we need to be anything is possible kind of people. We, we should not ever, ever let our past failures as a person define who we are. We should not ever let our current reality, our current situation define who we are. Let God define you. If Jesus is alive, if anything is possible, then we should start there. That's who's going to define me. I'm going to let God define me because Jesus is alive. I, I, I'm serious about this. How big are you praying? How big are you dreaming? Are you praying the kind of prayers that, that are so outlandish, that are so audacious, that, that for, for, for to happen what you were praying, you could only attribute it to God? That, yeah, God had to work in that. Because I, I've prayed for such an incredible thing. It, it was only by the power of God that that happened. That's the kind of prayers as people we need to be praying. That's the kind of prayers and dreams as, as a church we need to be praying and dreaming about. Because if Jesus is alive, then anything is possible, right? Amen? And at the end of the day, it's possible. So let's go for it. What have we got to lose? What have we got to lose? If if Jesus is alive, anything is possible. It might not work out the way we want it to. It might not work out the way that we think it should, should. But the question is, are you dreaming big? Are you praying big? Because we should be anything is possible kind of people. Because our Heavenly Father 
specializes in turnarounds. He specializes in bringing the possible out of the impossible, in bringing hope into seemingly hopeless situations. And the Apostle Paul, who said it far better than I could have ever said it, he said it this way. He said, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Don't miss that. The Spirit of God, the same Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in those who follow Jesus. That's game-changing. That's a transformative statement especially if you're in a bottom of the ninth moment. The same power that rolled the stone away is the same power that lives in us today. That's a game changer. The same power that rolled the stone away is the same power that lives in all of us who follow Jesus. That means that you have the power of the most high God living in you. So dream big and pray big. Don't give up. You might be in a bottom of the ninth, but you are never out. No matter if you're down and in a, and behind in a particular area of life. So what do we do with that? What do we do with that? Well, I'm going to ask you to do a couple things. First thing I'm going to do is ask you to, to step up to the plate. Step up to the plate and pick out one area of life where you feel like you are, you are behind in, where maybe you're down in. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to write it down. Sometime before you go to bed tonight, you, and this is just for you, it's for you and God. Don't, you don't have to show it to anybody else. You don't have to show it to me. You don't have to show it to your spouse, or your friends, anybody else. It's just for you. Sometime tonight, write down a, a particular area of life where you feel like you're behind in. You know, and, and maybe, maybe it's not a bottom of the ninth moment yet. Maybe it's just a bottom of the third, or, you know, bottom of the fifth, and, and you're thinking, you know, if I don't get a handle on this situation, if I don't, if I don't manage my time better, uh, my schedule better, my, my kids are really going to pay for it, it's going to get to a bottom of the ninth. Maybe, maybe if I don't handle my finances a little bit better, then I'm going to get into a situation where I feel like I'm in the bottom of the ninth. So I've I, I got to get a handle on that right now. But I just want you to simply step up to the plate and say, this is the one area, and I'm going to write it down. And before, you know... Again, you don't have to show it to anybody. It could be in a journal, a scrap piece of paper. Just write that down and, and put it somewhere. Because isn't it true for, for most all of us, if not all of us, that we all have at least one area of life where we feel like we're behind? And so what's that one area for you? Again, don't have to show it to anybody. Just, I, I would just ask that sometime tonight before you go to bed, you say, you say hey, God, th- this is that one area, and so I'm stepping up to the plate, and I'm not going to let my past failures, I'm not going to let the enormity of my current situation define how I, how I am. I'm going to allow you to define me. God, I'm going to allow you to define me. I'm going to step up to the plate, and here's the one area that I need a breakthrough in, so I need your help. That's the first thing. The second thing is, is, is this, and it's really simple. I'm just going to ask you to come back next week. If, you, if you're watching online, I'm just going to ask you to make sure you tune in next week. Or, or if you can be in person, to, to be here. And, and, and that's pretty simple, isn't it? How, how simple is that? Just, just come back next week. And, and maybe you bring that thing that you wrote down with you. You stick it in your pocket. You stick it in your Bible, whatever. It's in your wallet. You, you just bring it with you. But I want you to come back next week, and I want you to come with this mindset that I'm going to be an anything-as-possible kind of person. That's the attitude I'm coming in with next week. I'm going to be an anything is kind of is, is possible kind of person. And, and so I'm just going to come next Sunday and I'm going to come prepared with, with that area of life that I'm behind in. And I'm, I'm coming prepared for God to do significant things in my life. I'm, I'm going to come prepared for God to move in my life. Because look, here's the deal. We come to church every Sunday, right? We, we tune in online every Sunday. And so many times we come not expecting God to move. And I, when we do that, I wonder why we even show up. If we're not expecting God to move, then why do we even show up? So next Sunday, and maybe, maybe that's how you came to church this Sunday. Maybe that's how you're watching online right now. Next week, come to church. I'm going to be an anything kind of, as possible kind of person. 
and I'm coming prepared for God to move. It's simple, but it can be powerful. Pick one area, write it down. Come next Sunday and see what God begins to do. And because some of you, and this is why I think that's important, because some of you, you are in bottom of the ninth moments. And it's not necessarily anything that you've done wrong. It's just that life has happened. You know, maybe you got that phone call. Maybe, maybe you had something happen in your business. You, you had something happen in a relationship and you're here, here today and, or you're watching online and you would just say, Adam, I'm in a bottom of the ninth moment and I really need God to do something and I need him to do it soon. Yeah, some of you are in that. And here's the thing, I believe as a church, the greatest thing that we can do for you, if you're in a bottom of the ninth moment, the greatest thing that we can do for you as a church is to pray for you. To pray specifically for you and to pray over you. But we have this thing in our culture that says, hey, you're in, you're in our thoughts and you're in our prayers. And, and, and it's just kind of a, a good vibe, good sentiment kind of thing. And so that's what we say. Some, something bad happens to somebody. We say, hey, or hey, you know, you're, you're in my thoughts and, and my prayers. But I wonder, I just wonder how many times we actually pray for those people that we've promised to pray for. I often think that we say that because it's the nice thing to say. It's the right thing to say. But then we go on with life and we don't ever pray for those people. And so I would encourage us to stop being those kind of people, the, the you're in my thoughts and prayers kind of people, and that we would be, you're in my thoughts and in my prayers, and by the way, why don't we just pray right now? Why don't we ask God to intervene right now in this moment so, so, that, so that you're in the bottom of the ninth moment and you can know that God is for you, that you're down but you are not out. So here's what I want to do for us as we close. I want to pray for us. And I want to pray specifically for those of you who, who maybe are in bottom of the ninth moments. And if you sense that the person sitting next to you is in one of those moments, just reach over and put your hand on their shoulder. Maybe that's what you need for somebody to do for you. For somebody to do for you, to to reach out and put their hand on your shoulder. And then after we pray, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And here's what I would encourage you to do then. I would encourage you, and you can do it right where you're standing, is just to make a commitment that I'm going to be an anything is possible kind of person. I might be down, but I am not out. And if you need uh, to, to make a decision, if you need to, hey, I'm in a bottom of the ninth spiritually because I have never given my life over to Christ, there's good news for you. Jesus specializes in bottom of the ninth moments, and he would love to be your personal Savior today. He can make that happen today. So maybe that's the decision you need to make. You need to give your life over to Christ, and so we would invite you to come. We're, we're prepared for that. Maybe, maybe you just need a little bit more prayer. You know, hey, I'm really in a bottom of the ninth moment and I need somebody to specifically pray for me. We'd love to pray for you. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask us to go ahead and stand. And, then I, and I'm going to pray for us. And then we'll sing. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the fact that we can be a church that love people and care for people. Because you love and care for us. And God, I don't know the impossible situations that people might be facing right now, but you do. And so I thank you that in this moment that we could pray and we could ask for the power of your hope. May all of us who leave here today know that even no matter what we might face this week, there's still great reason to hope because the greatest impossibility that we have ever faced has been made possible through your son, Jesus Christ. There is nothing that we cannot face Because you have made all things possible. And so Father, my prayer is simply this. That we would lean on you. That we would trust in your son Jesus. That we would would be the kind of people that believe anything is possible because of your son. 
and we would trust him with our lives. We ask all this in the, in the powerful, powerful name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.